Okay, first podcast yes. for the both of us. Yes. Have you done a podcast before? I haven't. I haven't. I used to have a, a music radio show back oh, in yeah. the day. I did only 15 episodes, but then, yeah. 15 episodes? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I've not done... I've always said to joked with friends that we'd do podcasts but never got around to it but now i've got someone who's so interesting yeah, yeah. to chat to it's uh, a bit better than just chatting to my mates at home that no one would be interested in <laughs> um so yeah let's give it a go i don't really know what i'm doing so i wrote yeah, some questions for you we'll just have a conversation we'll go through some of those if if uh if either us freeze up we've got some we've got some backup questions okay. um but i wanted to start on we've talked about fear before so I just thought, one first question, throw it in there. Yeah. What is your biggest fear? Starting with the big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, to me, fear is probably forgetting who I am. Oh, yeah. I mean... I thought you were going to say, like, snakes or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then we could move no, on. By this, <laughs> by this point, I've... I've I've uh, moved past my fear of snakes or elephants. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's essentially this question I ask myself quite a lot: um, Who am I? And and the answer is never the same. Mm. It really depends moment to moment, right? But what if I wake up one day and I forget to ask the question, or forget, or kind of say, "Okay, I'm harsh and I'm this," and then I get stuck there for the, in that definition for the rest of my life. Yeah. So yeah. I guess um, I don't want to forget who I am or asking the question. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe we'll come back to that a yeah. little bit later. Yeah. I just realized as you were speaking, I didn't even introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. What we a, can do it in the description. What a rookie move. <laughs> um, or maybe for the, for the few listeners that we might have one day. Yeah. Um, we've only known each other for what, just less than a week. Yes. Um, it doesn't feel like that. I know. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, right? it's really cool. Um, but I'm aunt, you're harsh. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm visiting your home. Um, so yeah, maybe, why don't you tell us, we're sat in this beautiful location. We've got butterflies all around us. We've got, we've got trees growing. It's a nice little alcove tucked away on part of your land. Why don't you tell us where we are right now? All right, so we are in Kerala, yep. in, in a very small tribal village in the mountains. And uh, this, this piece of land is called Gaia Grid, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a place I started three years ago with the little bit of savings I had, and uh, the idea was to convert. Uh, it used to be sort of a barren land. It was mm -hmm. hilltop land, so it was pretty eroded, and the idea was to try and convert it into a food forest, mm -hmm. uh, which could which could support, let's say, a family of five people. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the family could also be strangers who come together yeah. and and live as a family and uh, and uh, the idea is to be self-sustainable in terms of food water electricity and shelter yeah. and and see if we can then replicate this idea in different parts of the world mm -hmm. uh, and and try and create food sustainability because uh, I think I mean there's a greater philosophical reason why I started this but I guess we can get into it later yeah uh, this is just like a short introduction probably will do yeah it's amazing and um, for me it feels like i'm in the middle of nowhere right yeah so we're on it's kind of on it's quite hilly the land around here yeah we're on top of a bit of a hill yeah um there's a few villages dotted around but other than that there's not, not much right yeah i mean the closest people live about two kilometers from here yeah so in a two kilometer radius there's no one so we are quite literally in the middle of nowhere yeah and yeah it, it certainly does feel that way but also it feels so so tranquil in that sense you know we can't hear other people we yeah. can't hear noises there's no traffic pollution there's no pollution the air is very clear yeah. there's the odd cow that walks past yeah. um the dog jose will go and chase chase some uh by bypasses every yeah. now and again but other than that we're kind of on our own right yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing yeah i mean also we are on the dead end yeah cul-de-sac a cul-de-sac yes <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah, I, I, I thought it might be interesting to do go back a little bit from mm. where we are now and talk to you about where you grew up and what that was like. Okay. Um, so I grew up in Calcutta. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a pretty big city in um, uh, northeastern India. Yeah. 
and um, uh, yeah, I grew up like an average Indian kid. Mm. Uh, went to school, uh, finished my. Uh, I guess I'll skip past the boring details, <laughs> but essentially, I was. Um, I kind of had two choices, uh, and most Indians have these two choices: you either become an engineer or a doctor. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I was, uh, and from the very beginning, I guess I've I've always been like, ah, neither. Yeah. So so I chose commerce, mm -hmm. and um, and it was also a great opportunity for me to learn about business. I come from a business family, and. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I studied commerce. I worked with uh, companies like um, MNCs, international yeah. companies. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it's, I'm part of an extended family. So, yeah. or, 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 okay, I don't know what this was. I think probably the, the time. Uh, the camera's probably given up on us. Uh, Should okay. we just carry on? Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's carry on. Um, so, so yeah, I grew up there and uh, worked all over the place within India and outside. And uh, yeah, but I think the extent yeah. of Calcutta is still there. Do, do, at that point, do, were you ever thinking that you'd end up here when you were making that decision of, I don't want to be a doctor, I don't want to be an engineer, I want to go and do something slightly different, but yeah. were you, did, was it, did it ever cross your mind that you might end up sitting here? No, it, honestly, it never did. I mean, yeah. uh, we can never probably predict the future yeah. in, in that way. I always knew that I wanted to do something different. so. I think um, when I look back, I see back in the day something different meant not engineering and um, um, becoming or medicine. Mm -hmm. And then when my when my uh, perspectives expanded, and when I realized that there's so much more other than engineering, commerce, yeah. medicine, and so I had so much more to choose from, and and so I, I guess um, it it really. Um, yeah, for me, it was essentially realizing that uh, now I have exposure to so much more information that I could choose from, uh, which back then I didn't. Yeah. So maybe back then, uh, commerce felt like a very different field. Very exotic. Very exotic <laughs> field. Uh, but it was still common. I mean, yeah. <laughs> when I, in hindsight, yeah. it looks like, oh, everyone was doing commerce. Um, but then I guess uh, once I left uh, my hometown and I started traveling a little bit, then, yeah, I think traveling expands your horizons that way. Yeah. So um, then you realize, oh, there's people earning so much money just being physiotherapists yeah. or, or, or chefs, or yeah. these kind of things. And, and of course, at one point it was about money. Yeah. So every um, professional decision was centered around uh, what can I do that aligns with my passion and makes me the most money because mm -hmm. it's security and, yeah. and financial security. But then, of course, at one point, uh, I think usually after your quarter life crisis, you realize, OK, money is not everything. Yeah. And then, then you kind of start expanding um, a food that feeds your soul instead. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's when this yeah. shift happened. And what were your what were your parents like growing up? I guess were they always supportive? Did they try and push you down one track? Did they want you to be a, a doctor or an engineer or anything else in that sense? Um, I mean, I think I think parents can do only as much as they know yeah. about parenting. Mm. So, so my parents, when when I was born, my parents were twenty six and twenty eight. Mm -hmm. So they were still kind of figuring out what they wanted out of life. Yeah, I mean, they were young. You yeah, know? and and at that point, my dad was really struggling with his business. So when I grew up, he probably thought, okay, he, we'll we'll try and see if we can nudge him towards business. Yeah. You know, so that he can be more yeah. successful than I am. Yeah. And so there was this nudging, but it was never pressure. It was never uh, this this sense of, uh, oh, you have to do this because uh, our, our hopes, uh, we, we have so many hopes from you. Mm -hmm. um, so they tried to nudge me towards commerce. Uh, they were very open. I'm, I'm really lucky that way. I mean, uh, my parents also, uh, for Indian parents, it's, uh, it's not or Indian couples. It's not common. Let's say 35 years ago from now uh, to elope and have a love marriage. Yeah, you know, but they did it and they were really rebellious in that way. Okay, so they raised me and my sister with this uh, sense of uh, do whatever you like do anything that uh, fulfills you as long as you're not harming anyone. Yeah, and so that way I felt really free and again when I made this move it, I didn't have to think twice about, oh, what will my parents think? What will, yeah. you know, my sister think? Because I knew that whatever I did, 
as long as I was trying to do something good, they would support me. Mm -hmm. So that way it was really... That's an amazing platform, isn't it, to yeah. give your children? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I guess maybe, do you think that's a, a, a unique thing from, a, from an Indian background? Do you think a lot of your peers or friends or even family might have had that pressure to... 100% yes. Uh, I think 95% of my friends who also come from really well-to-do families but are also very... Cons like, the parents were very conservative. Yeah. So it was not just... Um, 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 professional choices it was also personal choices like having a girlfriend or a boyfriend mm. and for for their parents it was sort of not blasphemous but it was they frowned upon it uh, because I think Indians operate from uh, uh, and not just Indians I think humans many humans operate from this uh, place of what will other people think mm. and 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 I think my parents just don't think about that yeah so that way i was really lucky because they said it doesn't matter what others think if you're doing something good if you believe in it do it yeah and i think that acted as sort of a springboard yeah uh, well i guess it uh, might might um might have been hard for you to end up here if they you know they hadn't instilled you with that value because this is you yes. know this is way out of that yes. that that zone of do this or that yeah yeah so I think I think even liberal people have their boundaries. Mm. So my parents were like, "Yeah, do whatever you want," and they knew I would do something to something related to making more money or making yeah. uh, like creating a secure future for myself. But again, when I crossed the threshold and and I told them, "Hey, I have stopped earning money. <laughs> I won't be working for money anymore, and I'll spend the rest of my uh, whatever years I have uh, trying to." Um, serve and trying to create uh, uh, this sense of service among others uh, without making money the transactional focal point you know yeah. and uh, and so then they hit that roadblock or not a roadblock but it, it was sort of their limit they just got to the boundary of, <laughs> yes, of, of, of their liberal acceptance and liberal yes yes yeah openness so so, so my mother immediately I, I clearly remember we were having a skype conversation and she said uh, Something in Hindi, I mean, if I had to translate it in English, she said, uh, where did we falter in our upbringing? <laughs> oh, no. and, and the worst thing. <laughs> the worst hear. thing, right? It's like the worst kind of emotional yeah. Yeah. attack. And, and I said, no, you did a great job. That's why I'm doing this, yeah. you know. And, and of course, um, parents operate from the sense of, uh, I hope my child grows up to be yeah. secure. And so it was coming from the sense of uh, love, which translated to fear. Yeah. Um, so, but it took a lot of convincing, or, or it took, uh, took a little bit of convincing, to be honest. Um, uh, and I think if you there's n there's no this uh, there's no sudden moment of realization when my parents were ah oh, okay we accept you nothing like that. It was a gradual process where uh, I had to struggle. Mm -hmm. I mean because uh, what they um, what they feel and and how happy or sad they are matters to me. Yeah. So I said, okay, uh, you know, this, what I'm doing um, with nature and with people is very important to me. But what my family thinks is also very important. So I sort of had to balance it a little bit and you know, kind of um, show them the perks of this life. And uh, once they realized it, and I think there was, there was some um, media coverage around yeah. the work I was doing. And so I think... For them, it was this sense of relief that, right. ah, okay, someone's acknowledging thing. them. Yeah. yeah, Someone's acknowledging him. So it must be true and it must be uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's sad in a way yeah. that you need someone else's acknowledgement, but it worked eventually. I think, I think uh, you, I think you made a really good point there. And it's so, it's so great that at that time you had the, um, I guess you had the, the, foresight to see that that they their opinion of you and what you were doing mattered as well because i think a lot of people in that situation might just say well this is what i believe in yeah. i'm going to do it anyway and then they'll come around to it yeah and i think that is you know that can that can really harm relationships in a way because the you you, you eventually you want to do the thing you want to do but there's just that bit of respect there yes. that you have to take other people's yes um sort of thoughts and emotions especially people so close to you into consideration rather than just being a bit gung-ho and being yeah. like i'm doing I it i don't care yeah. you'll come round." yeah so i think that's it's amazing that you had that thought yeah. at that time to, to do yeah. that i mean i've always 
uh, looked at them and thought of them as my biggest supporters. Yeah. And in in a way, I was kind of selfish because I didn't want to lose my biggest supporters. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, uh, but they, like not financial supporters, but yeah. supporters emotionally. Mm. I mean, I have I have friends, but uh, family is somehow something different. You know. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I guess I, I kind of tried to convince them or uh, show them what I was doing in an effort to retain that support. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, so just, just jumping back a little bit to the, to the sort of the, the story of how you got here. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess how I got here as well. Yeah. Um, you ended up, you ended up then... Um, sort of having a very successful career right yeah you told me you had a rooftop pool <laughs> in my in my apartment yeah yes yeah, yeah. yes yes, yes. So, yeah we don't have to put that bit in just yeah. your own rooftop pool helicopter <laughs> look, you know all of that stuff no but t- tell us how you got you know after school then university and then job and and that kind of successful career that um preceded this tipping point almost sure i mean uh, yeah i guess when I look look back now, I don't think of it as a successful career because yeah. I was mentally distraught. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah I, I think I think it was university and then um, trying to get admission into like masters so yeah. that you know I could I could claim to have educational qualifications <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. And um, and then of course I was lucky to get really good jobs, really good uh, profiles as you would call them, um, and then. Um, worked all over the place and i think if you're if you're if i understand your question properly um what led to this right yeah so i think uh, there was definitely a defining moment although it was it was a gradual process but there was a defining moment i remember um us having this small party and um and it's very common among young people to to complain about things mm. to say ah oh, this is not working about the economy and the and climate change is real and, and yeah. whatnot, right? And and um, the government's not doing anything. <laughs> the government's not doing anything about yeah. it. And I was the same, and so were my friends and my entire circle. So we were we were sitting for drinks and 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 having this discussion. And this this friend of mine, he looks at me and he says, "So what are you doing about it?" And I said, "What can I do about it? I mean, I'm just a citizen, you know." Yeah. And so he drags me by my hand into my restroom and and he opens the cabinet and he starts pointing at all the imported cosmetic products that are in there and he says well if you care so much about the indian economy mm. why don't you start buying indian products yeah. all of your beard oils and your <laughs> <laughs> not yet but yeah i mean my shampoos yeah. or, you know or or, or um uh, uh, shaving foams or whatever yeah. and and at that point you know how you know there is a problem but someone suddenly points a finger at how you can change change it or be the solution instead of being the part of the problem and i think once i realized it i i started changing things of course i mean if i didn't i would be stupid mm. so i started changing things but it's like a rabbit hole yeah. i think once you start changing them you, you kind of don't know where to stop so i kept changing um uh, how I consumed and what I purchased and if it was fair trade or organic or vegan or whatever. And so my diet changed, the way I dressed changed or, for example, I stopped buying clothes after that. And I think since then I've purchased maybe two shirts. So this was, what, eight years ago? Yeah. And, um, and everything uh, that I have now is sort of either received from someone or collected from someone, mm-hmm. but very few things that are purchased, yeah. right? And and so it, it went to that and and it it led me to quit my job of course because I realized I was I was spending twelve to fourteen hours every day working making someone else rich mm-hmm. and going back home thinking of how I may have screwed up yeah and feeling pretty shit about myself that horrible fear yeah. and anxiety right? of like yeah and then you're working hard towards reporting and yada yada and then you come back home and you're like okay promotion is due in six months i wonder if i'll get it and you kind of ruin the next six months thinking yeah. if i don't get promoted then my salary is not going to you know this whole yeah, yeah. This cycle and of course um this feeling of waking up every morning being oh i have to go to work again yeah. and i i was tired of that yeah. and i really wanted to 
I said, okay, now I can change things. Yeah. So I don't have to do this work. I'll, I'll figure out some figure out something. And you you were in the US at, at the time, right? No, th- this is when I, ha- I was back in India. Okay. Um, this, uh, I was back in India. I was in Bangalore then. Mm-hmm. And and I, the the process for me to go abroad was again starting. Yeah. So I would have not stayed in Bangalore long enough and mm-hmm. started working somewhere else. And it was, I think, the perfect moment because I knew that I wanted to spend my time in India, more yeah. more time in India. And so all these uh, combined reasons yeah. um, made me quit. I just went to went to work. And uh, of course, there's also another parallel story. Probably we'll get into it yeah. some other time. But um, um, I, I went to work essentially one day and I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to quit today. There was no <laughs> planning, it. nothing. And I and I sent uh, my resignation letter or email and my boss comes running and she says, Harsh, what are you doing? You're due for promotion. I was like, yeah, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> and, and and she really, like, she couldn't figure out why I was yeah. doing it. I mean, she said, do you have another job? I was like, no, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. She's like, what are your plans? What are they paying you? <laughs> you know, yeah, like you seem so... Uh, not concerned about this you yeah. know and it's 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 something it's a job that people would would fight for so that yeah it happened and and then <laughs> uh then i moved to a place called orville mm-hmm. it's in it's uh, in southern india and and i said okay i'm gonna not work for money anymore and i'll vol- volunteer my time so since then i've kind of either volunteered my time with organizations or or worked for kind of free i would yeah. say and um, so so while i was volunteering i realized that the forestry i mean i was volunteering in a forestry community and the forestry is all great but it's how how can i feed myself in the yeah. long run and how can i teach other people to feed themselves in the long run and that kind of led to this yeah uh, which started 3 years ago do you think I, I may mean, have rambled on for a while? No, but. not at all. It's 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 incredible, and that moment you've you've made it sound so. I mean, I think it, if I'm understanding properly, maybe it's it, it was quite a simple decision in your mind at that time because yeah. you just came in and like, this is it. This is the moment. Yeah. I'm not gonna overthink it. It just feels right. Yeah. But that it's a huge moment, right? You're yeah. looking, you're looking at like you say a promotion, a move abroad again. Yeah. A, you know. A lot of people would look at that and go, "Wow, you were you were yeah. set up to 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 make the the next step in your career, sure. one up, sure. new place, New York. Sure. You were heading to like, yeah. but you just you just turned the other way. Yeah, was that does, is it like the? Do you feel that's the biggest moment in your life so far, or is that? Um, definitely one of the smartest moves I've ever made. Yeah. Um, but I think, to me, at that point, I mean, when I was sitting at my desk that day, it was the choice between having a promotion and getting a 25% salary bump versus screwing the rest of my life. And it didn't seem like a big decision yeah. then. It just seemed like the obvious decision. Yeah. And you were so convinced that yeah. your life was just getting more and more screwed up. Yeah, I mean, I had, I remember happier times yeah. from from back then, right? Yeah. So I was like, if I have been happier, why am I being miserable right now? Yeah, and and not being happier. Yeah, and of course later in life I would realize that happiness is not really like personal happiness is secondary now uh, to what's right mm-hmm. or what what's probably better for other people. Mm-hmm. So. Of course, that decision was made out of selfishness yeah. or self-preservation. And I think everyone does that. Yeah. Um, but um, now when I look back, it really look, seems like, uh, uh, as I said, the perfect move to have made yeah. back then. But I guess you have to be happy with yourself before you can help others, yes. right? It's the analogy of on, on planes when they tell you to put your mask on before... Before putting other masks so at that point you were doing that right yeah you were putting your own mask yeah. on and going yeah. i'm going to save myself that's the best analogy i'm going to yeah. be really selfish yeah and then after that i will help other people yeah. and you wouldn't yeah. be able to do that otherwise yeah yeah you know osho you've probably heard of osho and osho talks about um loving others but he says how can you love others when you as you said yeah. when you can't love yourself and he and he uses this analogy of a uh, glass 
that is full of love. Yeah. And he says, we are trying to spread love in a world with our glasses half full. Yeah. And we, we give half love or, or yeah. love that's not complete. Mm -hmm. So he says, you have to fill your own glass. And when it starts to overflow, others will not be able to run from that love, which is true and unconditional. And so, yeah, I think that analogy of gas mask or... Yeah. or I mean, yeah. I said gas mask, didn't I? Uh, technically, it is gas, but it's, it's not oxygen. It's not like a toxic <laughs> yeah, gas. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's yeah, oxygen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about O2, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I just, the book I'm reading at the moment, um, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Robin Sharma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the analogy in that was that, that a cup, he was pouring a cup of tea and he kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring until the tea was overflowing onto this guy's like nice mm. rug and he was going whoa what are you doing <laughs> and he said you know this you can't it's what you were just saying you can't if your cup is already full yeah then you've got nothing nothing else to give really only you don't have the space to give yeah to others that's amazing um yeah like that's the reverse analogy yeah, but yeah. yeah that you can see that yeah too, yes um uh but yeah, incredible, and and I guess that's that's brought us here, and now you're three years into this project. Yeah, we we just we turned three on seventh November. Yeah, Harsh um, showed me this this picture of what the land looked like um, when you came here, and it was just mud, just clay, really yeah. bad soil, and just nothing here. Really yeah, rocky, like, sandy, actually, very. And sandy. there was no water. There was no electricity. Yeah. You couldn't just come in. You could. You didn't just come and live here straight away. It was impossible, right? I did. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, for some, it yeah. Is, for it's some, impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some, of course. Uh, for me as well. I mean, I was. Although I had lived in a forest before that. Yeah. Um, this was the most extreme situation I've ever been in, uh, and so yeah, it was rocky, sandy soil, with no, with very. Uh, deep groundwater so there was no way for me to access the groundwater and uh, of course nothing was growing here mm. and because it's hilltop land there was a lot of erosion and uh, n no fertile soil at all and uh, yeah so when I first moved in it was just uh, uh, two tents and an electric fence yeah yeah. Well, you were saying before you you stayed here before the before electric. the electric fence as well for a week. Yes. And what happened during that time? Uh, during that time, nothing happened, but the villagers kept being really mad at me, uh, and they 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 really thought I I had some problems, <laughs> and I had a death wish. And Have so, you proved them wrong yet? <laughs> hopefully, I mean I haven't died yet. <laughs> um, uh, but in the in the beginning, they were really concerned uh, to the point where they were mad at me. Right. And then, but, but I, I had no way, I had no way to try and explain to them the whole, the, the entirety of what I was trying to do. Mm. Um, I had only told them that I'm waiting for some money uh, to come yeah. so that I can make my fence. <laughs> and, and which was true because yeah. I was fundraising for the fence. And so when I finally got the fence, they kind of thought, okay, he's not, he's, okay. he's going to stay here. Yeah. He's not just camping randomly. Yeah. And, and uh, and and for them, I think this the idea even even though they have lived like this for so long, um, but this idea of the city guy coming and living in in a forest land uh, um, was probably alien. So so yeah, they thought of it as something weird. I think in the beginning, or and maybe they were like they felt a little like you can't do this. We can do this because this is where we're from, yeah. right? This is what we do. You're, yeah. not, you're not set up for this. 100% yes, because uh, there were... So in the beginning, my idea, what I still do, of course, was to reach out to um, the elders in the, in the village and, and ask for suggestions on how I could uh, do my work better here. Yeah. And I remember going to a few elders and they sort of laughed it off. And they said, just, why are you doing this? Just go back to your city and your job. And and uh, this is really Very wise, difficult. Very wise people. Yeah, really wise people who've <laughs> seen world. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying they're not wise. They're, they're yeah. really wise. But they just, yeah, I, I think they just assumed something. Yeah. And so they said all of that. I said, okay, what if I don't go back and I stay here? And, and instead of proving them wrong, 
prove myself right. Yeah. And and so I just I, I said okay I'll interact with the village very less. I'll I'll just work on the land and see what happens. So there was a lot of of course disapproving people in the beginning, but I remember there was one moment when we were when we had our water coming out. Uh, in the next few days, we had a lot of villagers visit, and they said, "Oh, how did you get water? How did you raise the water? Uh, raise the water table?" And and I think that was that moment where the local people started taking it seriously. They were like, "Okay, something, you know, the water table's risen, and um, he's he's definitely yeah. been digging holes and yeah. digging pits and swales and trenches." So, and and I remember there were these two villagers who came with cameras. Uh, like a small like cyber yeah. shot cameras and and they took some pictures of the buns and pits and catchment ponds and then next week onwards i saw so many of those ponds in the village oh wow and 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 i was like has this always been here i am 100% sure it hasn't mm. and and to to essentially harvest water that's what they did so and of course now and yeah. the villagers are in complete sync with what we're doing in yeah. the sense that they know what we're doing here and they see the difference uh, so it just took time it takes always always takes time yeah. yeah this this i think the water your water story is, is amazing mm-hmm. right so you, when you came here was it a thousand feet it's about thousand feet yeah so that's kind of like we're not going to drill that far down you could but it's insanely expensive i mean and back then it seemed like a waste of resources yes. to uh, to drill that deep and also it kind of felt sort of unethical yeah <laughs> um to drill that deep yeah. in a conservation project yeah i mean it's it's a necessity to get water right but sure. your decision was to go okay i'm not going to drill that deep the only other option is to get the water to come <laughs> up to you yes yes which was which so you've was grown long hair a beard and now you're summoning water from the <laughs> so yeah b- back then it was really this um, ethical dilemma cuz you're like on one hand you're like okay i'm not going to drill a thousand feet yeah but on the other hand i'm completely fine uh, with the tractor coming in using diesel <laughs> selling me water from yeah. the village and i had to make a choice i also had to make a choice based on what resources i i had available to my at my disposal so i didn't have the money to drill mm-hmm. um, i i didn't even have the money to buy water but i said this seems like small chunks of money um that that is more man- manageable at this time yeah and and this also means that we have more the likelihood of us using less water and doing the work is much more yeah so it could it could, it could then become sort of a experiment in uh, low water use, usage forestry mm-hmm. so i was like okay this this seems like a rational idea and i'm going to do it and touch what it worked yeah how talk me through how that process of raising the the level so that you could feasibly drill to actually get a, a, a constant water supply see to be honest i really really don't ever take credit for raising the water table yeah. i mean uh, some people would say ah maybe he's trying to be modest or you know um but i really think that what i did on the land in in the sense of making trenches that take rain water into a catchment pond and then recharge the groundwater or making small pits that do the same thing or mulching the land that keeps moisture or um not having any open um uh, open water that causes evaporation yeah. so i i did all those things but we also had a really good monsoon yeah. this year or, or or not this year but 3 years ago um uh, actually to correct myself 3 years ago we had no monsoon mm-hmm. and then 2 years ago we had a really good monsoon So that definitely played a part in raising the water table. Um but I definitely think that harvesting water I mean they, it's it's foolproof. It yeah. will definitely raise your water table. So so there were all these uh, small things I was doing based on my personal capacity and the capacity of all the volunteers that were here that kind of contributed to raising the water table from uh 900 to 500 in the mm-hmm. beginning. and then 500 to 250 the time we drilled for water and then now at 110 wow uh and we are talking feet yeah yeah that's incredible incredible change yeah so now so, you can you can you know that that will hopefully keep topping itself up as you pump water out yeah use on the land and it will go back in yes 
And, and now that we have planted so many trees on the land, their roots also act as sponges. Yeah. So they will, so now when we get water, uh, the, the percolation gets multiplied yeah. in a way. So we, we, we exponentially now can raise the water table. Yeah. And it's allowed you to have your own swimming pool. Yes. Yes. Um, it's uh, for, for, of course, those who haven't seen the pool, it's like a small catchment yeah, pool yeah, yeah. That, uh, that doubles as I ex- a... I exaggerate. <laughs> but that doubles as a swimming pool or, or like a dipping pool. Yeah. And it can... A plunge pool. A plunge pool, yeah. exactly. And it can store about 20,000 liters of water. And, and the idea was, since we have solar panels to pump water from the ground, why not use the same machinery to, uh, to pump it to the top of the land yeah. And then let gravity do the rest of the work and then when we want to irrigate the remaining field, which is downhill yeah. from the pool. So it serves as a plunge pool and a reservoir for all the water. And a home for some frogs and other things. Yes, yes. And hopefully in the future, uh, I want to do uh, aquaponics mm-hmm. and uh, to not eat the fish, of course, but, uh, but have um, a sort of a secondary pool where we keep some fish mm-hmm. and the fish water with all the nutrition can go into the trees uh-huh. and, and that way it can uh, sustain the, so the plants can sustain the um, uh, fish and the fish uh, waste can sustain the plants yeah. and the trees. And it's just this amazing cycle. Yes. You're, you know, the, the bit you're doing is you've got these amazing solar panels, which you fundraise for, yeah. um, that, that pump the water from the ground up yeah. to the land so we can use for washing and drinking and, and for the humans here. Yeah. And then pumps it to the top of the hill, yeah. which then can drain back down, irrigate yes. the land, and then back into the... Yes. So it's this amazing yes. cycle. So, and, and, and that's what you try to do in permaculture. You try to create circular designs where there's no waste, where every resource you use gets reused. So, for example, in drier months, what we do is we use firewood for cooking. Mm-hmm. And so the firewood comes from dead and dying trees on or off the property. And then that firewood gets used and then we collect the charcoal, activate it using our own urine and put it on garden beds mm-hmm. so that trees can get this sh- power shot, like yeah. a shot of steroids, yeah. but <laughs> natural. And then the wood ash is used for washing dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, and wood ash uh, is also really good for pest control in certain plants. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like a 360 degree uh, design where we try to waste nothing. So, for example, even the plastic that comes in, we try to incorporate it within our design and make bottle bricks so that we can do construction with it afterwards. Yeah. So that's... Um, I've done. I've made one bottle, which I'm yeah. very proud of. So <laughs> you, you collect the small amount of plastic that you are using at the moment yeah. from, from food items um, yes. and then stuff that used plastic into a plastic bottle uh-huh. uh, so it gets... It gets full up really solid and then you can use that to as building material yes amazing yes. yeah and and i mean uh, again looking at problems as solutions so someone said that oh you know plastic is such a problem and some of us were like wait what's the problem with plastic yeah. <laughs> and so the person's like it lasts five thousand years i said wait how many how many construction materials do you know that last that long <laughs> yeah so he said, okay, here's a problem. Let's convert it into a solution. Yeah. And so once you build buildings with it, uh, like lightweight or, or uh, small buildings with it, you can then mud plaster it on both sides. And as long as it doesn't come in contact with the elements, sun and rain, it won't leach any chemicals. Uh-huh. And you have a structure that stays very strong, very strong for very long. Yeah. And all you have to do is top up the mud plaster every now and then. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. <laughs> Um, one more, one more question about the sort of the development of this 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 process is just mm-hmm. about your most your most difficult moment. I think it'd be quite interesting to hear what was what at what point did you think, oh, you know, here you mean here maybe maybe I might want to quit, mm. or this is not necessary because I know you're, you you you've kind of given yourself no backups here, so. Yeah. This is kind of all or nothing, but a moment where you just thought, you know, this is maybe a bit too much or I've, I've given myself a bit <laughs> enough more than I could chew. All right. Um, yeah, <laughs> there, there was a moment. Um, um, I think it was, uh, it was maybe six months since I started Gaia Grid. 
and uh, and in those six months, I had of course lived out of a tent, mm-hmm. uh, seen the worst possible Kerala monsoons that you could imagine, you know, winds that wind speeds uh, ranging between forty and sixty miles an hour, um, and and I was also going through an emotional time in in my life back then. Of course, there were no solar panels, so there was no electricity. I was also fundraising for the project. And uh, there was a lot going on. And at that point, I remember waking up one night with all my stuff floating around me in my tent because it had rained so much, my tent was flooding and I hadn't had proper meals in days or proper sleep in days. And I remember bringing out out my moldy diary and pencil and, and writing and I started writing um, Gaia Grid is ending today and uh, and I wrote down about all the things that haven't worked in the in the past six months and I wrote down about um, the fact that I miss um, really good food or cooked food because yeah. everything was wet so I was eating mostly raw and or I miss uh, dry clothes <laughs> Things I had taken for granted yeah. for forever. And so I wrote for a long time. And I remember um, also crying at the same time while writing it. And uh, and of course, I grew up in a society where men don't cry. Yeah. Or or usually you're encouraged not to. Yeah, right? big time. And, and so there I was by myself just howling probably as I was writing. writing. And... Uh, and at one moment, I was like, okay, maybe I should, should I give up? Because it was really stupid of me, maybe, to do this without knowing anything. And, and the best thing I've ever done in my life was to not have a plan B, as you said, not have a backup plan. Mm. Because, uh, um, so as, I, as, I, as we were discussing earlier, that when I first started the land, after paying for the land, I had very little money left with me. Um, and uh, so I had kind of not given myself any option. And I said, okay, this is all I have and I have to live here. I mean, how many people can have their own land? And this, as soon as I asked myself this, I started kind of writing down the positives. Yeah. <laughs> so I started writing down about how uh, there's no pollution here. And it's, uh, it's, it may be in the middle of nowhere, but it's great because you don't hear honking all the time. Yeah. And you can um, do it slow. And you can do it one day at a time. And I started encouraging myself. Wow. And so it went from being super negative to that thought of how many people can be on their own land or how many people can be in such a peaceful scenario and to writing down positives and then realizing that I was very, very gifted to be sitting there in that tent, um, camping out in the wild and... um, and that kind of changed things. Yeah. So I, I, I finished writing it and I said, uh, so Gaia Grid is not ending, it's only just beginning. And and I and I usually don't share these things with people, um, but I, I put it out on the Facebook page of Gaia Grid. And I remember so many people writing to me saying, I had a mini heart attack when I first started reading it because I really believe in Gaia Grid, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and, we can say that, ah, I don't care about validation of other people or what other people have to say, but it kind of added to the motivation that so many people know about it. And 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 even though it's just a guy sitting on a hill. <laughs> and um, and so that kind of motivated me. And I went to sleep that night thinking, okay, uh, from tomorrow onwards, I'm just going to you know, turn this around. And I woke up and it was sunny and the rain had stopped and it was the end of monsoon essentially. And then, yeah, I... Never had that thought, thought again. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, now just interested just to give give people a bit of an idea of like the day-to-day of how it runs now. Because yeah. we're, we're, you're three years in, you're not having to battle the elements as much as you were back then. Yeah. You have drinking water, you yeah. have running water for showering, you have... You have a shower head. A whole shower head. <laughs> We have you have a, a dormitory building, you have a kitchen building, um, so everything you really need to to survive comfortably. Yeah. Um, how, how does it how does it run here? How does it work? Um, so work wise, how it works is 
we have friends and volunteers coming from different parts of India and different parts of the world and they help out in our day-to-day -day activities so they help with um, cooking, cleaning, weeding, gardening, tree planting, uh, anything that goes on to run a small-scale farm mm -hmm. and, and planning also and, and uh, maybe uh, some like we've had people in the very beginning who said okay I have um, expertise in social media, so I'm going to help promote about Gyagrid, uh, so you have more people come and help you, mm -hmm. or promote the fundraiser a little bit. So we have all kinds of um, uh, um, work that we do, um, but of course the core work is uh, related to conservation and um, food forest creation. And so we work for two hours in the morning, early morning, and then uh, we all prepare uh, a meal together for breakfast. And then we do another two hours, and that finishes the four hours expected of every volunteer for the day. And then, uh, again, we reconvene to prepare lunch together or dinner together. And sometimes when we are a few people, um, we all prepare the meals together. And sometimes we, when we are more people, uh, a group prepares lunch, a group prepares dinner, mm -hmm. and as you may have seen. Yeah. And... Uh, so we do that uh, Monday through Friday, and the weekends are kind of off days. And, um, and uh, so the people who um, help with the work, they, they do that in exchange for a stay. Mm -hmm. And then they contribute a certain amount, um, which is inflation-driven, <laughs> um, for, their, for their meals. Yeah. And, and all the expenses, all the money that they pay for the meals goes only for the kitchen expenses. Yeah. And uh, none of that is used for developing the project. Uh, so the project is entirely funded through personal fundraisers. So uh, someone donates five, five dollars. Someone yeah. donates ten dollars, and and that's how um, the fundraiser runs. That runs the project. Yeah, yeah. And and even sort of the the more grimy details. You know, we have you have a. a it's it's usually it's more economical to drag drag some water up the hill use that yeah. for a shower using a cup and a bucket yeah. but it's so hot here you, you know a nice cold shower is nice but you do have a shower head with yes. a mist shower yes. that you use the solar panel pump for yeah you have to you have to poop in a bucket right yes but that's in that's all in um aim of making sure that that goes back into the land right uh, absolutely you'll be surprised because this morning i read about bill gates launching a company that makes composting toilets okay and and he's really like pepped about it he is essentially talking about how the world lacks proper sanitation yeah um because water is a problem and how many people can afford to flush down their toilet yeah um and and it's proper perfectly fine drinking water that we use to flush down our waste <laughs> when we have so much of a water problem. So his, his company or the, the company that he's launching, what it's gonna do is it's gonna take your waste, convert it into compost. Yeah. Essentially what we're doing here. Yeah. And, and it's again a, a principle of permaculture that you don't see uh, the human excretion yeah. <laughs> as a waste, but as compost, as something that you can use for planting trees. Yeah. And so that's why we poop in a bucket uh, so that we can then convert it into compost yeah. and use it as a nutrition for the trees that we're planting here. So yeah. we don't have to add fertilizers or chemicals from outside. Yeah. And of course, I think uh, it's, it's very sad that our relation with our own bodily fluids is so perverted in a way yeah. that we, we find it disgusting and we don't want to touch it. And, yeah. and uh we just and want it out of our sight. Just yeah. get, a, get, yeah, away, get from it away from me. Quick. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And and so much that you it spirals out of your pipe. <laughs> yeah. And 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 then goes. I mean, in in developing countries, it goes into the main sewage system with yeah. all the industrial waste, and then goes out into the, into the ocean where people if, yeah. <laughs> go and swim. Where fish live, where you're swimming. Yeah. Where... So, so that approach, I thought, I mean. Yeah, I never understood why we do that, to be honest. And back then, I was not in control of the whole sanitation system, so I couldn't <laughs> do anything about it. But now I'm like, yeah, I'm very happy pooping in a bucket. Yeah. Now you are in control of the sanitation system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the word um, food forest before. Yeah. Can you describe what that means to you? Yeah. Uh, so food forestry is, is the, co the, co the concept of food forest is essentially... Uh, recreating something nature already 
has created in, in tropical forests. So if you go into a tropical forest or, or um, even temperate, many temperate, mm. temperate forests, uh, forest systems, they, they have this really good mix of hardwood and wood um, and, and trees that add nutrition to the soil, trees that um, give you fruits and berries and nuts. And the idea here is to see if you can replicate that design, but have it man-made or mm. human-made. And uh, and so it it essentially has nine layers, like vertical layers, and that starts from cover crops, and then creepers, and then bushes, and then um, uh, short-term plants, medium-term, long-term canopy trees, mm -hmm. and then emergent species. And you're essentially trying to stack up all these forest functions in a one-acre piece of land or whatever land you have available, so that after a certain point, it is self-regulating. The whole system regulates itself mm -hmm. and it produces enough fruits and berries and vegetables and seeds uh, to sustain the people living in there. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's not just for people, it's also for the soil. It's also to conserve water. It's also to you know, become home for bees and butterflies and birds and other fauna. Yeah. Mm, and uh, essentially, to, to be part of nature instead of trying to trim the bush and yeah. make it all look really proper and yeah. uh, trim the lawn and you know, stuff like this. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I was thinking we maybe have a, a quick break now. How do yeah. you feel about that? I, think, yeah. I feel like we've, we've you've told the story about how you got here and, and what the project is doing. Yeah. Um, and then maybe second part two, yeah. we, we, I want to ask you about Into the Wild. I want right. to ask you about the American office. Yes. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about, yeah, watching the American office in the jungle. I want to ask you about your book collection, favorite podcast. So maybe we drink some water, yes. come back yes. and do another, yeah, another let's session. Do that. Cool. Let's do that.